Good morning, everybody. Uh, I just want to take a moment and say uh, this morning I'm just noticing Jesse and Scott Lindsay Berge and Sebastian Avicano and Kurt Gray. It is so good each Sunday to have our congregation leading our congregation worship each week. It is so wonderful to have people, us, leading us. We're really doing this together. It's just beautiful. Take a moment. Thank you guys for leading worship today. Um, also, before we jump in, just a bit of an update. Um, I was gone last week. No, I was here. It's gone last week. Gone last week, here the week before today. Uh, thank you guys for praying for me and Rebecca while we've been sick. Um, that means so much. Texts, calls, meals, prayers. We just really feel cared for. Thank you. Um, I'm, I think I'm in the tail of the comment. <laughs> Please continue to pray for Rebecca. I think she's over the worst of it. She's still very much in it. So thank you guys. I know a lot of us have been sick, know people who are sick. It's a good reminder. Um, we're in this together. Let's take care of each other. So, um, let's pray and then we'll just jump right in. Lord God, we want to thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, we come now to receive your word, to sit under it. Um, to be changed, to grow. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? <laughs> Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today uh, is an exciting day in sermon land, because today we are starting a new sermon series. Um... I know you've just been all week. We just can't wait for that new sermon series on Sunday. So today, your anticipation is over. We are here. New sermon series time. Uh, I'm kidding, obviously, but it is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, this new sermon series, it's, we're calling it How, How to Read the Bible. Now, I grew up in a kind of a church culture where there were a lot of how-to, three steps to do this, you know, how to be this, 
topical type sermon series is. And you guys know me, that's not really my personality. We don't do a whole lot of these. Uh, but I think this one is really important, how to read the Bible. We're going to do five weeks on how to read the Bible. We can even call it hermeneutics. It's the fancy word for what we're talking about. But I want to start with uh, giving an explanation on why this is important. Why do we need to ask how do we? How should we? How should you? Same music. Wonderful. That's that's awesome. No, it's great. I love music. We all love music here, right? Yes. Uh, why should we ask? What's what's the big deal here? Can't we just open our Bibles? Uh, look, if the book has words, it's a page. Aren't we already doing it? Why do we need to spend five weeks on how to read the Bible? We know how to read. We're good Christian, uh, religious, reformed people. What's what's the deal here? Well, let me. I want to give you sort of an apologetic, um, an argument, an explanation for why it's so important for us to stop and spend time asking and considering how should we, how should I, Pastor Charlie, how should you, each of you, uh, how should our friends and family, how should we read the Bible? Well, here's some reasons why it's important. First, uh, you know, within Christianity, within the global Christian religion, uh, everyone agrees, all Christians everywhere, uh, all agree, at least within the bounds of what's generally recognized as orthodoxy, agree that the Bible is a primary source for information about God, for information about ultimate reality, for salvation. Now, in our tradition, our branch of the global Christian tree, we would say that the Bible is the primary source. It's sola scriptura. It's our highest written authority. But all Christians everywhere, from Reformed, Evangelical, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, mainline or liberal Protestant, all of us agree that the Bible is at least a primary source for information about God, about the world, for salvation, for ultimate reality. That's a big deal. As divided as the Christian world is, one thing we have consensus on is that we should be reading the Bible because that's where we get our information. There's one reason. We can call that a global witness. And maybe a global call to read our Bibles. Here's the second reason we need to keep working on, really learn how to be better Bible readers. And maybe this one's maybe the most important. Jesus himself holds the Bible in high regard. Jesus holds the Bible in high regard. Listen to his words. John 10, 35. Jesus said this. He said, the scripture cannot be broken. 
When Jesus says that, he's talking about the Bible. Now, when Jesus, this is during the time of, we would call his uh, humiliation. So this is when he was walking around in Galilee, in Judea, teaching, being a rabbi. He talks about the scripture. He's referring here to the Hebrew Bible, but we would call the Old Testament. Still Bible, though. He says it can't be broken. How many things do you know of in our world that cannot be broken? Think about it. My will could be broken. My attitude could be broken. My desires could be broken. My family could be broken. My money could be broken. My mind could be broken. Community could be broken. All these places that I like to lean on for how I do life, break me. But this, according to Jesus, unbreakable. Jesus also said this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. That's like saying not a comma or not the dot of an eye, not the smallest even little stroke will pass away from the law, the description, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So according to Jesus, not only is the, is the Bible unbreakable, but the way that we approach it, whether we approach it the right way or whether we approach it the wrong way, affects our eternal destination. It's a pretty big deal. That's from Jesus. Here's another reason why we need to stop. Even as even as good Christian people, why we need to stop and reassess and relearn, or maybe learn for the first time how to read the Bible. It's this. The Bible itself, uh, well, the Bible, let me just say it like this. The, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word. Now, that's a broad statement. That's something we, we say a lot here, but let's make it more specific. The Bible itself claims to be God's word. If if our Bibles weren't just books with words in them, if they had mouths and they were talking to us, then they would look right at us and they would say, read me, I am the word of God. It claims to be God's word. Listen to this. This is from... So the Apostle Paul writes this, and he's he's talking about the Old Testament specifically. But this, I would say this applies to all Scripture, but technically Paul has in mind here his Old Testament. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. God said it. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of, of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there, the Bible itself is claiming that it's God's word. Somebody might say, oh, well, but Paul only had the Hebrew Bible. So it's not technically the Bible saying that the whole Bible is God's word. Well, that's a good point. Listen to this. What about the New Testament? Does the New Testament claim to be God's word? Well, yeah. Did you guys know that in Second Peter, Peter's second letter, he refers to the writings of Paul. Paul's letters as scripture. Did you know that? Listen to this. 2 Peter 3.16. He's 
He's talking about Paul, and he says that Paul writes the same way in all of his letters, um, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I love that, by the way. I love Peter kind of saying that Paul's hard to understand. That makes me feel better when I <laughs> like Ephesians. It says, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures. So here Peter is saying that Paul's letters are scripture. So Paul says all scripture is God breathed. He's holding, hypothetically, his Hebrew Bible. And then over here, Peter says, well, what that guy is writing is also scripture. So at least the Bible claims that itself, at least the Old Testament and Paul's letters are the word of God. What about the rest of the New Testament? Does the Bible say that it's the word of God? You bet it does. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says this to his apostles. He says in John 14, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. So there Jesus says, hey, guys, the Holy Spirit's going to come. So when you sit down and you write your Gospels and you write your letters, they're not your words. They're the Holy Spirit's words and they're my words. So you put those three verses together and the Bible This Bible that we have itself claims divine authority. Well, that's a pretty good reason for us to learn how to read it carefully. So if the Bible is held in highest regard by all Christians everywhere, if Jesus himself is the leader in holding the Bible in highest regard, and the Bible itself claims to be the very words of God, Well, that's a big deal. Now, here's where, okay, all that, all that we would say, okay, all of that, that's one reason why the Bible is such a big thing. But, like Peter says, the Bible is still hard to read. And it seems clear to me that even though it's God's word, even though all Christians everywhere think it's awesome, even though Jesus recommends it, even though it itself claims to have this divine power, when I pick it up, even though I have, you know, I'm an ordained minister, I went to seminary, it's hard. Do you think reading the Bible is hard? And I'm pretty convinced that not everybody is reading it the right way. This is like the most valuable thing that we could carry. And I look around, I wonder if you look around, and I see Christians and different people carrying it very careless, very poorly. When I was in seminary, uh, I was working at Imago Dei Community as a a resident um, pastor in training. But I only worked there part-time. And I was in seminary, so Becca and I, she worked full-time, but we needed more money. So I did something I don't really like doing very much. Sometimes you got into it. I started teaching guitar lessons. I don't know if you've ever taught guitar lessons. 
takes a special kind of guitar player to teach guitar lessons, and I am not that kind of guitar player. But I did it. We've all done things we, we didn't want to do, right? Well, I'm teaching guitar lessons. So I had this guitar student. His name was Craig. I liked Craig's lessons because we talked about guitar, but really they just turned into me and Craig, like sitting around talking about God, which was what I really wanted to do. Well, one day Craig comes in and we're talking about God, and Craig brings up a particular doctrinal issue that our church had taken a stand on that he wasn't so sure about. And he asked me about it. And to be honest, I can't remember what the issue was, or else I'd, I'd probably tell you. But I, I, I defended the issue. I, I towed the party line for a church's doctrinal stance. And, I, and Craig said, well, you know, something like, why do you think that? And I said, well, because the Bible says, and I quoted a Bible verse. Whatever. And Craig sat back and goes, yeah, that's how you interpret the passage. And me being a seminary student, I was like, <laughs> I was thinking, let's go. We can talk about the interpretation. And then Craig said something that shut my mouth. He said, you interpret it that way. And our pastor, he said our pastor's name, interprets it that way. But this other pastor, he names another pastor in town that I had big respect for, interprets it this other way. And I realized he's right. And then he named a third pastor in town who had a third view on that verse related to that doctrinal issue. That was different. And he goes, this guy interprets it that way. And then he named a fourth person. And then he said, and I think this. And he starts naming all these different views on one verse and one doctrinal issue and starts naming pastors that I respected that knew their Bibles, who were smart, who were good people who all disagreed on this one issue. And I sat there, hot-headed seminary student, who thought all I needed to do was pick this up and apply the hermeneutical principles that, you know, the, that I learned in the class. And the, the answer is completely clear. Craig just needed to read this and submit to it. I started to feel, I remember in that moment, I got mad. I felt frustrated because Craig saw something differently than the way I did. And he was reading the same Bible and was naming all these smart Christians that saw it differently. I began to feel, in that moment, I began to feel I, I, I was lost on how to engage with him. All of my Christian training had taught me to answer questions about doubt and doctrine with, the Bible says this. And in that moment, Craig had completely disarmed me. The Bible says this no longer carried any weight. Because I wasn't even sure if I was reading it right. And I started to feel insecure. But maybe this whole time, at least on that issue, I've been reading the Bible. Now, I think about the world that we live in. Think about how divided our churches are. All the denominations. Think about how divided our families are. Think about how um, 
the big issues that our culture, at least in Christianity, that are sort of on our dashboard, on the table, that are dividing churches, the issues like what to do about homosexuality, same-sex marriage, do we affirm it, do we ignore it, do we condemn it, something in between, sex and gender, not just uh, whether somebody is trans or cisgender, but also what are roles, what is God's role for men and women, what can women do in the church, can they do everything that men can do? What's the eternal destination of non-believers? Do they go to an eternal hell? Do they cease to be? Does everybody go to heaven? What's the nature of the sacraments? Who gets to come here? Who gets to be baptized? How do we do that? What are the nature of spiritual gifts? Should we be doing, should I be up here speaking in tongues? All of these things that divide our churches. And all groups are appealing to this book and saying, the Bible says. And from Reformed to Catholic to Orthodox to liberal, everyone loves this book. Everyone's reading it. And we all have different ideas. Here's, here's the point. We don't have a Bible problem. This book is perfect. But we do have a Bible reading problem. We need to learn how to read this better. We don't read good. <laughs> so, how should we read the Bible? Now, uh, that's the question. Now, the answer, we're going to be going to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, the passage we just read. Now, warning. This will be our primary sermon text for the next five weeks. So what I'd like to do, we'll be in this for five weeks. Uh, starting next time, when we read it, I would like us to read it out loud together. And then by the fifth week, I want to see if we can remember if we have, well, how about this? I want to challenge each of us to try to memorize this passage by the fifth week. We'll put our worship hands down. We'll try to say it without looking. Okay. Okay, so that's just for fun. Hebrews 1 through 3. Here's the next thing. Why are we going to Hebrews 1 through 3 for five weeks to learn how to read the Bible? Um, this text doesn't say the word Bible in it. This, the, the little, this little thing at the top here, the little title for this paragraph doesn't say how to read the Bible. Pastor Charlie, why here in this text? Well, If the Bible is God's word, and we're working with the presupposition that it is, because it claims to be, and Jesus affirms that, then if we want to learn how to read it better, then we need to learn something about how God speaks. What does it mean? What does God's word even mean? What does it mean that God speaks? How does he speak? What does he speak? Because if we can learn what the Bible teaches us about how God speaks, we can learn about how to read. So we won't answer every hermeneutical question in five weeks, but 
out of this passage. This is, this is the go-to passage in the Bible that talks about how God speaks. We're going to learn five principles that can guide us to be better, more confident, more humble, more Holy Spirit reliant, more Jesus-trusting, more loving Bible readers. Okay? That was the longest sermon intro of all time. So let me give you the first principle from this text in under 10 minutes. Okay? <laughs> Here it is. The first principle for how we should read our Bibles from this text, you can probably guess it because it's in the title of the sermon on your worship guide, is that we should read the Bible theologically. We should read the Bible theologically. Now, Pastor Charlie, what do you mean by that? Well, each of these principles are going to be one word that ends with L-Y, so that hmm. makes it a little bit easier to remember. So theologically, that works, but maybe I could say it a different way. Uh, you know, the theologically, theology, theo means God, ology means study of. Um, here's the idea. When we, read, when we read the Bible, we need to read it first and foremost in order to know God. The Bible is about God. It is from God. It is for God. It is a God book. That's the first and maybe the most important thing we need to know when we approach this book. We need to read it theologically, theocentrically. This is a God book. Look at the text of Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Here the author of Hebrews is addressing his readers and he's talking about the Hebrew Bible. He's saying, in the past, God spoke... To the prophets. Who are the prophets? Well, they're the people uh, who wrote, who pinned down uh, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, plus, plus some other people. Like Elijah, who was a prophet but didn't actually write a book. The author of Hebrews says, back in the day, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So this verse tells us that what we learned earlier reaffirms that the scriptures are the word of God. Okay? That's important. Where does God speak? Well, he speaks here. Since a long time ago, God spoke, and we have those words here. That's the author of Hebrews' first point. Now, verse 2, he says, But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe. Now the author of Hebrews is referring to Jesus as the word of God. He's saying that the, the Bible that we hold, that's God's written word, that's verse 1, and then the Jesus that we follow, the Jesus that we worship, that's God's living word. It's his final word. 
But in these last days, God has spoken by his son. It's also his first word. It's Jesus is the word through whom God made the universe. God said, let there be light. And there was light. That word is Jesus. So thus far, we have the author of Hebrews saying, God speaks. In the past, he spoke to the prophets. We have that here in the book, the written word. In these last days, he speaks through his son. That's the first and final word. We know him. It's Jesus. And then he says this, verse 3. And the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Here the author of Hebrews tells us that this Jesus, this first and final word, the living word, is the perfect expression of who God is. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You know, we speak to express ourselves. We use words to show other people who we are. And Jesus is God's word that shows us who God is. But he's also the one who accomplishes God's purposes. Says the whole universe is upheld by Jesus' word. When we speak, we, we speak to express ourselves, but we also speak, speak to get things done. Like, like if I was really thirsty and I needed to tell, and I needed to, I needed water, but for some reason I couldn't get up and get it. I could say words. I could say, somebody get me some water. And those words, in a way, would accomplish the purpose of satisfying my thirst. You see it? So the author of Hebrews is telling us from the very beginning, like he says, okay, guys, we're going to start off here. We're going to talk about the nature of God's speaking, the nature of God's word. What is God's word? What is God speaking? Well, in the past, he spoke through the prophets, and we have his written word. It's here. But his final, his first and final and living word is Jesus, Jesus Christ. And that word is a perfect expression of who God is. That word is, uh, accomplishes God's purposes. And that's Jesus. So the big idea, if we can put all these things together, is that God has spoken, and the word he speaks is from him, it's about him, and it's for him. Do you see that here? When the author of Hebrews starts to talk about how God speaks, God is, is the beginning, he's the end, he's the middle. Everything is about him. So, as we approach the Bible and we call it God's word, and we approach it to get to know Jesus better, the living we need to approach it as something that is first and foremost about God. Let me get more specific. I have a little book on my shelf. I can't remember what it's called. It's like the something Bible. It's like the, oh, I should have looked before I came here. 
It's called like the something something pocket Bible. And when you open it up, it's it it what it is, you go to the table of contents and it has this little thing that says where to turn when. And then it lists all these different emotions, all these different life situations. Uh, any emotion or life situation you can think of, there's something like it in the table of contents. And then you go to that and you go to that page and there's Bible verses from all over the Bible printed on that page. That book is really, really useful. And I use it sometimes. And maybe you have a book like that and they're really handy. Let me tell you something about that book. It is mistitled. It is not a Bible. It is a book with Bible verses in it. We often approach our Bibles as this is, this is my, where I go when I have questions. This, is, this exists to answer my questions. This exists primarily to teach me how to be a better person. Uh, this is where I go to learn how to live, to work, to learn how to feel, to learn how to relate to people, to learn how to vote. Now, this is where I go to learn how to defend my cultural values. This is where I go to learn how to get into heaven. That's what this book is for. It is my instruction manual. It's my handbook. Uh, that is what this is. I keep it with me. It's my dictionary. It's my encyclopedia for life. Um, it's my Wikipedia. This is my go-to source for how to be the best me. And the Bible can do all of those things. But that's not what this book is primarily for or about. All of those are secondary to the much bigger truth that this book is about God, it's from God, and it's for God. This is not your handbook to keep in your glove compartment to go when you just have a question. This is the word of the living God. It's bigger than you. It's smarter than you. It's bigger than all of us. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts and it heals. It's incredibly dangerous. This is a God book. We need to know that first. If our Bible reading doesn't lead us to turn away from ourselves and turn to God with our heads down, bowed down low, prostrate before him in our hearts, then we're not reading it right. Good theology, as they say, always, 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 always leads to doxology, worship. These are not your IKEA instructions for life. It's so much greater. So, Um, this is why God's word, even though every bit of this, of course, this is translated into English. This is not the original autograph manuscripts that are inerrant and 
directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is an English translation, but with that in mind, every bit of this is God's word. But God's word can't be contained. Ultimately, God's word is contained in the person of the living person, Jesus Christ. And you know, as heavy as I have laid it on about how we should revere this and fear this, be careful with this, the gospel is that all of the holiness, all of the bigness, and all of the mystery that we look at, that, we, that, that exists here, as big and as scary and as dangerous as it is. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you're trusting in Jesus as your advocate, looking to Jesus as your brother, or as we read earlier, as the one who became sin so that you, the sinner, could become the righteousness of God, then as much as this isn't about you, first and foremost, as much as this is from God, about God, and for God, if you belong to Christ, then this is yours. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has given us all things in Christ. And he has put his word into our hearts. And it creates, he creates through his word, new life there. So how do we read the Bible? Well, theologically. And that's not theology that exists just in our heads. That's a theology that we get so caught up in and lost in. Maybe theology isn't even the right word. Maybe we need to think of it as a union. Maybe theosis, Peter's word, partaking in the divine nature sharing in the life of God. Because in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that's what happens when we open 